If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Human nature, if it is healthy, demands excitement. And if it does not obtain its thrilling excitement in the right way, it will seek it in the wrong. God never makes bloodless stoics. He makes no passionless saints. Oswald Chambers. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, which we're going to read together, we have something that's a reminder to all of us, and particularly the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, a reminder to keep the fire burning in his love for God. And starting off in verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother in Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want to particularly zero in on verse 6 today as we cross-reference what it means to stir up the gift of God. What would that look like as well as what may put it out? We're going to be looking at two things. Number one, the fire extinguisher, and number two, the fire igniter. It's important to know what it is that stirs you for the things of God and what puts those things out. But before we look at the fire extinguishers, I want to start off with some context to this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1. The letter is from the Apostle Paul, who writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, a man he's personally taken a long time in investing in his life. This is a person that constantly Paul encouraged in his faith. Um, and just as a way of reminder, I think every one of us always need to be reminded that there is always a need to encourage each other in the faith. There's never a point that you stop encouraging others in the faith. Unfortunately, what happens is we stop many times when God wants us to continue. And Paul makes it a point to still, even at the last writing that he writes to Timothy to encourage him in his faith. What's amazing here is that Paul knows that his time is coming, that he's about to be executed. So these are, if you will, his final words to Timothy, his final encouragement to Timothy to walk faithfully with God. Paul understood what most, what, what most Christians understand, that life gets hard with the many trials that are faced. There are difficult truths that must be preached even when faced with opposition. What's difficult to do many times is to keep the fire burning. The passion going strong for the Lord when we are getting overwhelmed by everything around us. Paul is reminding Timothy, as we ought to be reminded, to stir up the gift that he had been given. And in his case, it was the gift of elder, pastor, or teacher. This was a gift that was confirmed by the laying on of hands during ordination to ministry. So many are always, you know, when it comes to spiritual gifts, they, that we're looking for lists to follow to prove what our gift is. And those can be very helpful. But unfortunately, you can give that same list to an unbeliever and they can fill it out and have certain gifts that we would assume would be spiritual gifts 
But unfortunately, if they don't have the spirit, they don't have that gift in the way that God would want to be used in the local church. God has specific things that he has called each believer to do. And Spurgeon has some great things to glean from on this point. I'm not going to preach his sermon, but I found the the, the sermon to be fascinating. I'm probably going to post it online later on for all of you to read. Um, But just a small portion of his sermon entitled, Our Gifts and How to Use Them. Here's what he says. There are numbers of believers who have not the gift of utterance with the tongue, who nevertheless can speak very fluently and admirably with the pen. If then you have the gift of the pen, are you using it for Christ as you ought? I want to stir up the gift that is in you. Letters have often been blessed to conversions. Are you accustomed to write with that view? Perhaps you are a great contributor to the postal revenue. Let me ask you what sort of matter it is with which you burden your majesty's mails. Do you write letters to your children and friends full of loving testimony to what the grace of God has done for you? If you have not done so, dear friends, try at once. Jesus needs consecrated pens, and in his name I claim your service. What Spurgeon is essentially getting at is that we tend to find ourselves saying, I'm not gifted like that person, so I don't know what I can really do. And Spurgeon's encouraging his congregation, saying, listen, if you may not be a speaker, but if you can write, do it for God's glory. Do it with the gift he's given you. There's so much here that gets lost by so many that know God has gifted them, but they're not exactly sure how. They're not sure how it is that God's actually gifted them. One of the ways a person knows, though, is by practice in the local church by ministering to the other saints. Even unbelievers can take spiritual gift tests and be told they have a spiritual gift, but not have the spirit residing in them. That's why this is important in the context of a local church. Spiritual gifts that you will see listed in Scripture are as follows. Administration, which simply means to steer Pilotage, directorship, government, discernment, to separate from one another, divide, part, distinguishing, evangelism, to announce the good news, to declare, bring good tidings, exhortation, to comfort, console, exhort, entreat. Faith, this implies more of a knowledge of assent to and confidence in certain divine truths, and it produces good works. Giving. To give, to share, in part. Healing, to cure, heal, to make whole spiritually. Helps, this would be to meet the needs of others. Hospitality, given hospitality, generosity towards guests. Love towards strangers. Knowledge, to have knowledge, perceive, understand. This is somebody that really digs into the word of God. Leadership, to stand before, to preside, maintain, to be overseer or rule over. Mercy, to have pity, be compassionate, extend help for the consequence of sin. Serving, this could be in many different ways, to serve or minister to others. Teaching, shepherding, to watch over, nurture, and to train to spiritual maturity. And wisdom, the ability to console or counsel somebody with biblical insight. There are many different gifts that are are listed here, and and you're probably wondering, man, I'm, I'm... I'm hearing all this, I'm trying to figure out which ones am I. 
And I want to encourage you to start with one thing that I think is very much missed many times when it comes to serving and using your spiritual gift. Stop and pray and ask how God would want you to serve in the church and start doing that. Because here's what happens. When God gifts you and me with a spiritual gift, once we use those gifts that he's given us, we start seeing and developing in those gifts. You may start in one area in the church and say, hey, I'm doing this, but I'm not sure this is a good fit. And you're going to start seeing that this is probably your better, your better gift than this one that you started with. By default, so many of us like to do certain things because we are more comfortable with them. But is that our gift? God has gifted everybody differently in the church, and some of us are gifted in ways that others aren't. Unfortunately, what tends to happen is we like to see what others are doing, and because we don't compare ourselves against the word of God, but against others, we mistake what our gift is. It's only through practice and not just merely taking a test that a saint will know what God has gifted them with. For example, if you came up with the, the like, let's say you took the spiritual test for, you know, spiritual gifts, right? And you come up with the, the spiritual gift, and yours is helps. That's the one you rank the highest in. Well, what is that supposed to mean? Like, how do you extract that? How do you put that in practice in the local church? Well, that takes some discernment, doesn't it? That takes some wisdom, right? And this is where the body is so beneficial. You can go to another person and say, hey, you know what? Here's what I think you can really help with. This is what I think you really are much better at than I am. And it's important for us as a church to know that certain gifts that people have may not be yours, but they're a benefit to you as yours is to them. The preacher's not the only one that counts. The deacons are not the only one that counts. Those that are leading something are not the only one that counts. Each one of us plays a role. A musician may have the gift of service and not really know it until they've played for a while. Now, if you've played and you still can't play, it probably isn't your gift. Right? You're playing, like for example, there's people that will volunteer to sing in the worship band. You need to sing. And sing well. We're all about joyful noise for congregational singing, but in leading, that's a different gift. And that's important for all of us, is that not using your gift will not only hurt you, but also those around you. Did you know that? If you're saying, hey, you know what, I'm not gifted that way, here's how I'm gifted, but nobody's going to really care. That's hurting the church. Some of you are like, well, all I can do is really clean up over here. That's a benefit to the church. Do that. Someone like, hey, you know what? I can't do much in the church. I really don't have the time to be able to do things in the actual building. I can only come out maybe on the weekends or Sunday. But I can give. And God's given you that ability. That's actually a spiritual gift. Timothy was more than likely gifted with multiple gifts. Administration, teaching and shepherding, discernment, leadership, and possibly even evangelism. Because Paul actually tells him to do the work of an evangelist. But all of these gifts were to be used and the fire stirred up. You see, the reason why so many of us have the fire go out is because we, many times, one, don't even know what it is that God wants us to do, which is a big problem. Or two, even when we do know, 
we let things put that fire out. Once we become a part of the, of the body of Christ and start using our gifts, it's important to know what puts the fire out and what reignites it again. So number one, let's look at the fire extinguisher. We can be passionate about the wrong things as well as the right things. You see, here's the thing. Many times when we're passionate about the things of God, it's not that we have changed being passionate. We've stopped being passionate about the things of God. Other things become our passion. We always, our heart always has an inclination to go ahead and really be drawn to something. And if it isn't drawn to the things of God, it'll be drawn to other things. That's one of the reasons why you'll see people that are very passionate about their faith walk away from their faith and be passionate about things that are contrary to the faith entirely. Unfortunately, many a Christian has swapped between the right motives and the wrong motives for serving God. Fire extinguishers, as I would like to call them, are things that don't stir our affections or passions for the things of God, but rather put them out. What's one of those? Well, one of the ones that we can really list is when we make it about us. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul makes this statement, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. There's no faster way to put the fire out than changing it to all being about us. You want to see your passion for God completely be put out? Start focusing on yourself. So many of us have done it frequently without even paying attention, have we not? You ever serve God and wonder why you weren't getting the attention you thought you deserved? You ever do things for God and you're like, why, why is nobody paying attention to me? Like, God, do you even notice what I'm doing? Why, after being so consistent, does nobody seem to care that I've done this for so long? You ever get so full of yourself you thought you were the only one that cared to serve God? You ever get there? You ever join the Elijah Club? Only I love you, God. And you kind of neglected to see the fact that there are other people that are faithful as well? Like, hello, you're not the only one. If it could happen to the prophets of God, it could happen to you and me. Just like God pointed out to Elijah when he was whining about being the only one, that he reserved 7,000 others that had been just as faithful to him. When you're tempted in making it all about yourself, remember that it's not about you and you're not the only one there. There are others that are serving in the kingdom as well. And here's the truth. They struggle with that same temptation you are on that. Not a single one of us has ever served God for any amount of time and not been tempted to go, you know what, is this worth it? Like, I'm not getting any attention for this. Nobody even knows how much I've, I've really worked hard on this. I haven't even had anybody come up to me and thank me for it. Remember, 
church, others struggle just as you do in that area. You're not the only one. Unfortunately, making it about ourselves, many times it's our sinful desires that put out the fire, do they not? Some of us, we, we, we tend to think, you know what, if it's about ourselves, God, I've tried doing this for you, I've kind of tried to serve in this area, it hasn't really benefited me, it seems like, so I'm going to go ahead and go back to this wonderful coping mechanism called sin that I like. And hopefully this will make it easier for me. Because apparently serving you is a little too hard sometimes. It's a little frustrating at times. It's a little overwhelming at times. It's a thankless job, it seems, sometimes. Maybe I need to go to this secret sin that brings me pleasure. Maybe I need to go to this that really will fulfill that longing that I have to be wanted. At least I know this cares for me. Whatever this is, it can be very impersonal or very personal. One of the reasons why sin is so attractive, isn't it? We make it about ourselves, the passion for the things of God completely wanes. We start thinking, you know what? Maybe it isn't worth it to really strive for this. Why should I try? Seems like others aren't trying either. Why should I keep going? Because Jesus is worth it, church. That's why you should keep going. See, the problem is sin will easily put out any fire that we have for passionately serving God. One of the reasons why a booming ministry can be completely snuffed out by somebody changing it from serving Christ with a passion for him to serving myself with a passion for my own sinful passions. What's another way that we can put the fire out or a fire extinguisher, if you will? Well, another one is make it about the money. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. You want to quickly put out the fire, living for eternity? Make it about the here and now and survival mode and wanting it, make it big here on this earth. Live for what's left here on this earth. Why do we know that it will all be burned up and yet we still pursue it like it really matters? I need to make more than the next guy. I need to make sure that I have all of this for myself. We say we don't trust riches, but the way we steward our money that God's given us is very indicative that we don't trust him, we trust ourselves. A lot of us are like, yeah, God's given this to me, then trust him with it. Why are we so stingy? Why are we so hoardy with all the things that God's given us? 
you don't know. I've, had, I've gone through some things in life. I can't share anymore. I can't do this. For People have burned me. You're not trusting God. Of course you need discernment. You don't just give away money to whoever's out there. That's not the point here in this text. You were given money to live and give, not to just store and hoard for yourself. Investing in a 401k and storing up for a rainy day is proverbial wisdom. It is wise to do so. But if we only live by fear, we've made it about the money and not about the God we serve. Some of the greatest blessings enjoyed in eternity will be the secret sacrificial giving practiced by the saints of God for the glory of God. It's absolutely mind-blowing the things that God will one day reward believers for that sacrifice behind the scenes. But you know what? I, I made a lot, I did a lot, but behind the scenes, God blessed me so much that I want to help and bless somebody else. I want to spread the gospel further. I want to make an impact for those around me. Riches can distract us from the greater things that God has in store for us. And you could say, you know what, that's only those that have a lot of money. No, we are a rich country. That applies to all of us. We are not third world. The government sent us money during the pandemic. And yes, the economy is in shambles right now. But we sure have it a lot better than other nations out there. We're still heating our homes. We still have food on the table. You still bought your kids shoes this last year. But I'm not rich. The currency of heaven is not that of this earth. The money here, though, can still have an eternal impact if used for God's glory. In fact, Jesus talks about money more than just about every topic. It matters what you do with it. And it's one of those things where he goes so far as to say, choose God or possessions and money. Make a choice. What are you going to serve? It's not saying that you can't have money. It's saying which one are you going to serve? Just as this text says, to not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. We ought to be ready to give, willing to share. If you've got plenty, be willing to share and give. If you don't have enough, it may be foolish stewardship, and pursuit of money that consumes you. It isn't always because you've just been dealt a bad hand. Many of us make poor choices, and that's why we are where we are. If you and I swipe a credit card to buy a bunch of things we don't need and wonder why we're struggling, that's on us. That's not on God not blessing us. Pursuit of riches puts out the fire many Christians living in America and around the world. If you can't trust God with the amount he's already given you, how can you trust him if he were to give you more? If you can't trust God with what he's already given you now, 
If he gave you more, would you still trust him then? You're already proving you aren't now. Maybe instead of constantly wanting more for ourselves, we take the time to see what God would want and bless others around us. Maybe we lack simply because we're putting money into bags with holes and stealing from God and not giving back what's already his. I've learned this lesson very directly myself. That when I become stingy, when I decide to be greedy, when I decide I'm going to hoard more for myself, that God takes away the very things I already have. And when I have more, it seems like I have less. There's an axiomatic truth there. And so many of us don't believe God on that. That he will bless those of us that give. That he will bless those of us that give out of a cheerful heart that desires the things that he would want. Some of us are shocked that some people are more blessed than we are when it comes to possessions. Have we ever asked ourselves the question, maybe they're doing some things differently? Maybe they're following God more precisely on some things than we are. What's another way that we can put the fire out or a fire extinguisher? Here's what I think becomes a big problem for a lot of us is lack of any concern, lack any concern. Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Fervent in spirit. You know what puts the fire quickly out? There's a word for it called apathy. Don't care. Doesn't matter. All the stuff the Bible says that we ought to do, I've tried. Why am I even doing why am I even doing this? Apathy takes on many forms, doesn't it? We no longer care to define things according to standards of Scripture, which is why so many Christians have no fire whatsoever left, because none of the moral standards of God's Word even matter. That's why they have no passion for Him. Well, you know, I don't really believe that that's God, what God really means in the Bible, so I'm just going to create my own version of what I think God wants. Very serious problem in the church today the apathy many have to the morals of Scripture. What does it matter if I go to church? I'm not safe by going to church. Why does it matter? I mean, right? Like, pastor, it's not like we get saved, and like, church is what saves me. That's exactly the attitude of apathy. It doesn't matter, right? Like, it doesn't, why? Why should I show up? Why do this? Is it just the Sunday thing to do? You know, i got to be a good Christian parent, show my kids that church is important. Is that why I'm doing this? 
it matters because you don't go to church just to get your quick fix. You go to church to gather with the saints of God because he's worthy of worship. You're not doing this for the pastor. You're not doing this for the saints. You're doing it to worship. And yes, it's in the context of a local church with the saints. This isn't just a club to hang out. We serve one king. He's the one that's worthy of our worship. The saints have always desired to gather with other saints throughout all of history. What's stunning to me is after the pandemic, when isolation just about killed our relationships, so many did not care to come back to the church. They were fine to sit on the couch, tune in on the live stream for two years plus. Wonder why I'm so high in my anxiety now. Wonder why I feel like everything's falling apart. Nobody cares. You're not in the midst of the saints. And if you're watching this online, we want you to join us. There's nothing like actually meeting with the saints in person. Live stream is the equivalent of watching a fire burn on Netflix. It's not the real thing. What does it matter if I actually try to fight sin? I'll fall into it again. Right? Like, I've already told God I'm going to try to stop, and I still do it. Why does it even matter that I try anymore? I'm ready to give up. I can't do this anymore. I feel like such a liar and hypocrite every time I pray. It's that attitude that absolutely kills any desire for the things of God. That fire will be put out. Sinner, after you've fallen, confess and repent and get back up and move forward. If the righteous man falls seven times, it doesn't mean that he only fell once. He fell multiple times and he gets back up. You need to get back up. And I know this is going to hurt for some of you because I know that there's some things that we really need to work and try to help ease some of the pressures that you're under in counseling. But I need you to know from the bottom of my heart that you and I, we need to get up even when we've fallen. And we need to get back up and get moving again. Even if we're barely crawling at first. We have a God that restores. And restores broken people. All of us. Stop thinking that if you've sinned, you can no longer be useful for the kingdom of God. It's not true. Well, you don't know my past. God does. God knew all the saints' past. And even when they were in his midst and they were serving him and they failed him, he restored them. 
sinners are what we all are in the church. We've only become saints because of what Christ has done. Your performance never qualified you as a saint. Don't care so little about this, church. It matters way more than you think. In fact, that's why it bleeds into this one. What difference can I really make in the kingdom? It's a form of apathy that always pops up. Like, what can I even do? Like, I don't have the gifts that others do in the church. What can I really do? What's the point? I can't really do all that much. The unfortunate danger of this perspective is forgetting that God has used nobodies throughout all history to accomplish his purposes. Including many of the saints that we consider heroes. Peter, a fisherman who was opposed to the government, becomes a bold preacher of the gospel. Martha, worried about the wrong things. Hey, if anxiety is your problem, Martha's your friend of the Bible. She can relate. I've still used her. God always uses nobodies to reach others for his glory. Always. You and I can make a difference and have to fight to keep apathy from creeping in. And it puts out that fire of passion that we have to serve God. Every time it wants to creep in, we fight back. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. What is it that ignites that fire again? What is it that builds and stirs us for the things of God? So we've looked at the fire extinguishers. What are the fire starters or igniters? Fire igniter. First one is make it about the gospel. 2 Timothy 1, 8, 8 through 12. Therefore, this is Paul speaking to Timothy and further in the text. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul is pushing Timothy to stir up the gift, and one of the ways is by being reminded of his calling in the gospel. Knowing who he has believed. Believer, do you know who you've trusted? Do you know? Because the gospel matters. It is the starting point and the lifeline for all of us as saints. When you feel like everything just completely puts out the fire of passion for things of God, do you get reminded of the gospel? Do you care what Jesus has done? We believe the gospel 
We've been given a mission. So why do we run away from it? Why do we bail on ministering for Christ? Why is it that we tell the world Jesus is so precious to us, he saved us. Serving him, I'm out. It's too much work. The gospel is the starting place and it's the continuation in our lives, saints. You don't get over the gospel. Any saint that wants to go to the deeper end of the pool without realizing that the gospel fills that pool is going to miss what God has for them. There are many people that have amazing insights that God's given them, but lack a passion for his glory. And many of us are proud of what God's done for us without really a desire to be stirred with what Jesus has done for us and how he has sacrificially given on our behalf. Paul himself had many that ministered and bailed on ministering with him. One of the hardest things in ministry is when you partner with others and you're trying to minister for the kingdom and the glory of God, and you seem to have a team together, you have people that are ministering alongside of you, and then all of a sudden... They bail. And you're just taken back by all of it. You feel uncomfortable. You don't know how to respond to it. The problem with people that complain about opportunities for ministry is that they usually talk the talk without walking the walk. Many complain about what the church is not doing and they don't want to realize what God has called them to do. We should do fill in the blank. And if you ask them to do it, <laughs> not me, somebody else. Somebody else, don't ask me. I just think the church should do this. It'd be nice if we had this program in our church, but it has to be someone else that does it. The gospel moves us to get out of our comfort zone and into the life God has called us to which may be extremely difficult at times. You ask anybody that's been serving God for any amount of time how difficult it can be sometimes, and they'll tell you that it's not always that easy. It's hard. Especially to consistently, faithfully keep going. Paul suffered for the gospel, but we're offended that someone didn't do something the way we wanted. Church, if you're finding yourself kind of emotionally distraught by something that somebody else is doing, maybe step back for a moment and kind of go back and go, hey, you know what? Like, Jesus put up with a lot with me. Maybe I need to be a little more careful how I'm about to respond. Maybe when we want to knock somebody else for being unfaithful, we kind of realize how unfaithful we've been to Jesus. The reason why so many Christians are so passionless, the gospel is not on their minds. It's not something that really gets brought up. I'm good for eternity, so I need to be as comfortable as I can be here on this earth now, right? I'm all set. 
God's already got that all set. I don't need to worry now. I'm going to live ignoring that fact. I'm just going to be as comfortable as I can be on this earth. I don't want to give up my time, my resources, my energy, pursuing something that I haven't really valued in some time. Remember what God has done for you and what he has called you to. The gospel is where it started for all of us as saints, and it is what keeps us going. In fact, Paul, who blows you and me away when we read his letters with a lot of the details that he has, always brings up the gospel in every letter. That's how you know he never got over it. We need to be stirred with the gospel that nothing can stop what God has called us to. Chances are when you've stopped being passionate about the things of God, you've forgotten the gospel, and it's no longer on, the, on your mind as it should be. You've shifted your passion for something else. You can start with a passion for the things of God only to become passionate about what you would want. And when you become passionate about what you would want, you get very offended when someone else doesn't do what you want. You're doing the duties of ministry without the proper motivation. It's going to always fall apart. You need the proper motivation. That motivation starts with the gospel. What's another way that we can reignite the fire, if you will, in our lives? Well, the second way is to join with others. 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14 says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You want to stay passionate about the things of God? Get around the right people. Stay around the right people. And you watch how your passion continues to grow. As much as Paul was a strong, faithful follower of Christ, he needed others in his life, and so do you. Timothy needed Paul in his life to help him develop in his faith. The right people matter in keeping your passion and service for the kingdom of God. Not everyone has the attitude that Paul had, though. Through thick and thin, I'm all in for the gospel, through joy and sorrow. Those are the saints you want around you. The ones where everything goes bad, they're going to encourage you to keep going. So many live in past glory days and are burnt out spiritually and passionless at the end of their Christian life. It fascinates me sometimes that those that have walked with God longer seem to be less passionate about him. And then I look at myself, and I remember God calling me as a young teenage boy, and how real it all felt then. And how as time has gone on, kind of lost those things in my life. 
There's a song by Michael W. Smith that I found really hit this home, and I only understood it years later. I sang it when I was younger, didn't understand it really. But when you grow into a young man and, and an adult, you start realizing what it is that he was saying. The song is Missing Person. And in the chorus he says, I've been searching for that missing person, that, that boy that he once was that longed for the things of God. And I say this with tears because there are many people I know that I grew up with. We went to church together, did Awana together. We were passionate about those things back then. For some reason, we've gone different ways. Some of them completely disregard the faith entirely. They think it's a waste. Garbage didn't matter didn't matter. Others are wishy-washy. I take some of it, but I really don't want to deal with a lot of it. And some still faithfully serving. And I, to be perfectly honest with you, church, I, I struggle because I find myself realizing how much I need others only to find myself in serving others feeling more isolated sometimes. Because I don't share enough sometimes of my own heart with you all. And I'm typically pretty open with a lot of things. Uh, but this is an area I've really struggled with and I'm gonna be a little more transparent right now than normal. I'm sorry church because sometimes as your pastor I know that you love me. I know that all of you care, but then I have truly lost, if you will, the connection that I should have with some of you. And in losing that connection that I should have with some of you, I have started assuming things that were not true. And God's convicted me on this, and the week away really helped kind of reset some things for me personally. I find myself many times wondering what it is that God wants me to do in this church and, and in the ministry at the Grace Academy, and I'm always wondering, God, am I doing right? Am I, am I serving you the way that I ought to? And then I get blindsided by, well, you know, maybe, maybe it really doesn't matter, Roman. And I get trapped. I get trapped in my mind thinking that maybe... What I'm doing doesn't amount to much. I start wondering whether or not I'm loving God the way that I ought to again. And God breaks a lot of those fallacies that I have. And I repent because really really a lot of things that I've been deceived with. And I know that many of you, you go through different things and maybe some similar things to that, and I want you to know as your pastor that I, I will not perfectly be there for you all the time, and I'm sorry that that's the case. I'm sorry that some of you feel unappreciated at times. I'm sorry that some of you feel like I don't reach out enough. But I promise you, church, 
I'm going to try to get back up and do better. I'm going to try to serve with a more fervent spirit than I have. Because one thing I've noticed is it's very easy to put out the fire. It's very hard to keep the fire burning. And just as Paul had Timothy and others in the ministry like Titus, I need you in my life as well. I want you to realize that pastors themselves struggle as well. We don't have it all together. So you've been down, but you're not out. Get back up. Get back in fellowship with other saints. Glad to see some familiar faces back. There are incredible things that can be done by the people of God if we have a passion for the gospel and his glory. That needs to become our priority. We can't do it alone. We sure need to be careful when we, who we get our insight from. In fact, Paul, Paul himself warns about dangerous people in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I think it just puts it plainly. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that would make them, that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You're lacking passion? Get around the right people. There are some people that will put that fire right out. But also be aware that there are certain people that you need to be concerned about, as we just discussed, and they'll bring you to that state of apathy with them. What matters to you one day won't matter depending on who you spend time with. I've made a conscious choice in my ministry to help any believer that is struggling but I also know that certain people negate the very ministry God's called me to. And enough time around them will drain the passion I ought to have for what I ought to do. So brothers and sisters, understand, I'm doing that because it's right. Not because I want to pull away from everybody, not minister to anyone. I'm not opposed to ministering to a single person in this church that walks through the door. But I'm very careful who I give a lot of my time to because I know that they'll drain my own passion and ministry. You can't keep the fire burning on your own. It does matter who's helping you. And then the last one is don't neglect the essentials. Every one of you should know these. 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our brother Paul Beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. 
You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. If you want to rekindle the fire, you can't forget the essentials, church. You can't forget the essentials. The word and prayer. Just as Peter warns here in the text, you need to pay attention to what happens when others twist the scripture and choose to live outside its parameters. It ends in destruction. A sure way of reigniting the fire is making sure you do not neglect the essentials. Just like you would go out camping and you have to have the essentials to get the, the fire started, these are the essentials. You can't go without them. Prayer, God's word, and the gathering with the saints. I know you've heard all these your, most of your Christian lives, but these really you can't go without. They do really matter. You see, many times we're not looking in the scripture for what God would want for us, but rather what we would want from him, right? To alleviate anxiety, to feel less guilty. I'm going to read the Bible so I feel a little less guilty today, right? I'm going to read the Bible so I have better health, more money, whatever, right? Like, you're not reading it for the right reason. One person said, prayer involves transformed passions. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. So church, as we close out this sermon, don't read because pastor says to read, but read because you want to hear from God himself. Don't pray because you want to talk. It's almost like to hear ourselves talk. Pray because you need him. Don't gather just because it's something you do Gather because it matters, because he's worthy. So in conclusion, how's your passion for God? As I said earlier, this is a sermon I pretty much preached to myself. How's your passion for God? If you were to be honest right now, how passionate are you for God and his glory? Are you burning red hot, lukewarm, or has the fire completely gone out? Have you seen other things that put out the fire and you haven't noticed, but you realize that it's out? Maybe it's time to reevaluate. What is it that's put out the fire? Maybe it's been your selfish desires, the desires for safety when it comes to your finances that's distracted you from serving with passion. Maybe you don't even care. You know how it goes. You get back off track. You go back and ask for forgiveness. So you're like, eh, what does it matter? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just sick and tired of the whole thing. Your passion will fizzle with sin that's left unchecked. Apathy will take over. Get up. Remember the gospel. Remember what you've been called to. Connect with others that are passionate about the things of God. Don't neglect the essentials. Prayer, God's word, and gathering with the saints. Pay attention to people that put your fire out. Stay away from those. Especially those that will distract you from what God has done for you and what you have been gifted with. 
If you want to really know how it is that God wants you to serve in the church, get around other people that serve in the church, and I promise you they'll help you along. There are many different things that you can do. Look closely at what you're passionate about and see if it's what really matters. You're passionate about something. Is it what matters? May God raise us to be a church passionate about his glory and his gospel.